Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. Wow, I tell you, sometimes you see news that'll pop up in the... You know, a little tiny print on my screen, and it just, uh, it's, it's startling. It makes me, you know, just makes me wonder how, how precious is life and how little, uh, how s- not seriously we take it. But that's not going to be forever. We're going to be taking a lot of things very seriously going forward on this program. Um, I can't help it. I keep watching what's going on around me, and I, I have decided that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to call out all the phoniness i'm going to be um consistent and trying to do as much research as possible you know we gotta push back against the you know i was trying to figure out and somebody asked me last night i'm trying to remember oh i was on the telephone somebody said to me why are all of these people who are basically got less than a snowball's chance in hell to get a nomination jumping into this race and I said, you remember back when we had the 17 candidates that jumped into the Republican nomination race? I said, M- many of them were literally angling for cabinet positions if the Republican who emerged with the nomination were to win. And you watched even President Trump uh, select uh, Ben Carson for HUD, um, Rick, per- Rick Perry for, uh, um, for energy. Um, and, you know, there were... People who were, Lindsey Graham has now become a, 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 I guess, a pretty big supporter for the most part. And, you know, there are a lot of people who see this as their chance to audition, I guess, is the way to put it, for a cabinet position. You got you to gotta make yourself into somebody and that, that you've got to show you've got some knowledge about an area in particular. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching these people. I'm trying to figure out like, why is this guy Delaney last night that I saw on television? Why is he running? Well, because if not, who would know him? <laughs> you know, I literally, I said 38 people showed up to the grand opening of his campaign headquarters and he was like happy. You know, if 38 people show up to an event, I'm miserable because it tells me that there's just not a, a tremendous amount of support. You know, I may not take it personally, but I'll decide that this is not a good idea, you know. <laughs> and that's exactly what I see happening. Now, I mentioned earlier that Lara Logan, who was a a pretty, you know, reputable or pretty um, certainly noticeable media uh, foreign correspondent. She worked for CBS News. She got on a radio program on the, um, what is it called, Mic Drop which is a Breitbart radio program, which I happen to listen to whenever I'm in my husband's car because he has Sirius Satellite. And they were talking about um, whether or not the liberal is a good term to, to label the media with. And boy, did she go off. She lamented that voter registration among journalists showed that the media is out of balance. She came with a metaphor to explain how she believes the press is tinged by the sameness of opinion. Listen to this. Visually, anyone who's ever been to Israel and been to the Wailing Wall has seen that the women have this tiny little spot in front of the wall to pray, and the rest of the wall is for the men. To me, that's a great representation of the American media. 
is that in this tiny little corner where the women pray, you've got Breitbart and Fox News and a few others, and from there on, you have CBS, ABC, NBC, Huffington Post, Politico, whatever, right? All of them. And that's a problem for me, she said, because even if it was reversed, if it was mostly on the right, that would also be a problem for me. My experience has been that the more opinions you have, the more ways that you look at everything in life. And she then said that President Donald Trump's press coverage is a case in point of how the media produces a distortion by boiling things down so that there's no gray. It's all one way. If it doesn't match real life, something's wrong, Logan said. And uh, she cited a couple of different comments, like the comments from Jill Abramson, the New York Times executive editor, saying that they have abandoned our pretense or at least the effort to be objective. And she argued that media sources on the left and the right regularly push their preferred narratives and, quote, do terrible things. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And then she went on to say, that's not journalism when you abandon your journalistic standards. Responsibility for fake news begins with us. We bear some responsibility for that, and we're not taking ownership of that and addressing it. We just want to blame it all on somebody else. And towards the end of the interview, she seemed to acknowledge that uh, some will see her remarks as controversial, saying, this interview is professional suicide for me. She's right. You watch and see what happens. But, you know, she's smart enough and sophisticated enough to carve out a way for herself. And we've seen others do that. You know, there is a, 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 a hunger in this country for some investigative journalism. It propels uh, people to the front of the crowd. You have Cheryl Atkinson. She struck out from a major network and said, I'm not going to let them uh, determine what the news is anymore, especially when they uh, are asking me to overlook very important stories. And she struck out on her own. She's with that Salem, you know, she does her show. I watch it online, so I don't know what channels it's on in your market, but you should watch it. You know, I I, um, support Laura Loomer and, and, and other women out there, primarily women, it seems, who have the guts to stand up to what everybody else is doing. It's enough already of denying that you're faking it while you're faking it. You know, just just admit it and then maybe right the ship. It would be nice, right, if we could suddenly, um, you know, sort of return. Let me tell you something else that's aggravating me right now, and this tells you everything you need to know about why um, the term fake news ended up resonating so deeply and profoundly with people. Two weeks ago, when that Jesse Smollett story broke, you had nonstop coverage. You had people literally crying on television. Um, I can't believe this is happening in my country. I can't. I can't. They, they had bought it. They, they played it day and night and night and day over and over again. That pictures of his face and over and over again. And then now that we watch the story unravel, nothing. Nothing. The, the only thing you can hear now when you ask about Jesse Smollett on television. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's so obvious, right? That's the, that's the problem. All they're running with today is Roger Stone tweeting out a picture of, uh, of the judge. And now, by the way, he's in front of the judge right now. They called him in. And yeah, Ro- Roger Stone... Is Roger Stone. I'm just going to leave it at that. 
you know, but uh, but but journalists have an obligation to tell the whole story. They're supposed to be seeking out the facts, presenting them to the public. They're not supposed to be um, looking for facts that fit the narrative that they want to talk about. But they do over and over and over again. And, and to some extent, we get what we deserve. You know, we watch it. We, we don't complain about it. We allow them to do it. And, uh, yeah, we're paying a very, very big price for this. You know, we now know that we can't trust anything. By the way, also just crossing, I mean, uh, they talked about Carl Lagerfeld dying at 85. He was a crusty old guy, kind of liked uh, every now and then he'd say some crazy stuff. Um, but uh, Charo's husband, and I think they were married for like a 40 years or so, is dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, Kelly Rustin shot himself yesterday afternoon around 2 p.m. in the Beverly Hills home where he and 70s icon Charo lived. We're told Charo was home at the time and someone in the house called 911. He was transported to a hospital, but they weren't able to save him. He was a TV producer in the 70s and the 80s. He and Charo got married in 1978, had one child together, actor and producer Shay Rastin. Last time I saw, I saw Charo was in that uh, uh, celebrity wife swap show, Meet the Families. Yeah, they swapped with uh, her old uh, Love Boat co-star Jill Whelan. Very sad. I mean, you know, you see these these stories, and they're um, a lot of sad stories. A lot of sad stories. I don't even know who that is, so I'm not going to go with that. But uh, we got we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, and one of the things that has really been on my mind, and I'm going to talk about it, even though I know it's uh, it's probably, well, it's probably going to be surprising to you. And that is my whole feeling about this attempted coup, because that's what it was. And people like me have to share in the responsibility because we knew a lot of this was going on and we just didn't want to appear, appear conspiratorial and we didn't want to jump on somebody else's story and all the rest of it. And for two years now, many of us have known just how deep this attempt by these bureaucrats was. You know, and I, I can remember when I got on the air and said, I won't use the term deep state. I won't use that term. It's just, just too uh, Alex Jonesy for me. Let me tell you something. Um, regardless of what Andy McCabe has to say, although I guess 50% of what he says is probably true, I just can't tell which 50%. Regardless of what he has to say, it is quite clear that there was an attempt to um, first circumvent an election, second, undo the results of an election, and third, cripple a president who was duly elected and this has got to be exposed in every way possible it's time for as victor davis hansen says it's time to do an autopsy on this coup attempt and make sure that this never happens in the united states of america again this is not venezuela I 
also wanted to remind you that they're having the Sporting Clays Classic for the Honor Flights. Of course, this is a great organization that uh, takes veterans from World War II, though not many left, uh, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam conflict, and uh, and brings them to Washington, D.C. so that they can visit their memorials. And uh, this event is a fundraiser for, for Honor Flights. It's their first Sporting Clays Classic at the Elite South Florida Shooting Club in Palm City. That's this uh, north end of the listening audience. Pull for the Vets on Saturday, March 2nd. If you need more information, it's, it, it looks like it's going to be a real fun thing. You can either sign up individually or sign up a team. Um, and all you got to do is register by visit. Oh, you know what? Call this number, 772-215-9107. That's 772-215-9107. And uh, participate in something that'll make you feel better, uh, vent a little bit, and hang out with some really good people who are doing the right thing. At uh, the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking with Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. He had a pretty incredible article, a very disturbing article, actually, about what Mexico is doing with these uh, caravans, in particular the, newest, the latest caravan, and uh, it's not good news. It's just not good news. But we have to tell you all the news, not just the good news. And that's why it's amazing to me that you have uh, journalists out there who are unwilling to tell the news, to tell the whole story. They have, uh, you know, they're not interested in talking about the problems that we face at the border. No, no, they keep telling me there is no crisis at the border. There's no problem and that Donald Trump is making this all up. And yet, I don't know if you've seen the pictures that I've seen, if you've watched the video that I've watched, if you're just following people on Facebook who were down there. I uh, asked one of the Breitbart guys to come on the show. I haven't heard back from him, but the, he's been with the caravan from Honduras since its beginning. And you look at some of the reportage that's coming out of there by a handful of independent journalists or working on uh, conservative sites, and you say to yourself, where's ABC? Where's CBS? Where's NBC? Where is, uh, you know, MSLSD? Where's CNN? My God, are they a news station or are they just, uh, you know, a, a we hate Trump station? It's hard to figure out that, that, that they would stand around. They have guys like Jim Acosta standing there in a press conference with the president saying, we know there's no crisis and we know there's no immigrants and we know there's no when there is. I mean, at what point do they have to fess up? Uh, It is frustrating, but that's basically why talk radio um, continues to grow while other forms of media are diminished. Because here you're going to get, you know, going to get the other side of the story. Here you're going to get the few real journalists that are out there gathering real information to come on and talk about it. Half of them have been banned from some of the uh, more public websites. You know, now you got Facebook banning a Christian activist, okay, for simply posting a picture. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. You know, and they keep telling us on Twitter and on Facebook and all these, other, well, you know, we have standards and we abide by those standards and uh, it affects everybody, not just one side or the other. And then repeatedly, I don't see anybody getting banned from Twitter who says, you know, screw the president or worse. Because if they were banning people like that, you would have Bette Midler off, you'd have Jussie Smollett off, but instead it's Laura Loomer that gets banned and it's uh, other conservatives. And, uh, you know, we got to fight back. You got to get ready. You've got to join the revolution. 
Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, sir, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. So welcome back. As promised, I'm heading over to the Center for Immigration Studies where I get to speak with Todd Benzman. He's the center's Texas-based senior national security fellow. And uh, boy, oh boy, I read your article this morning, Todd, and uh, it shook me to my very core. Um, Mexico is apparently just telling migrants practically to just go to the U.S. Yeah, so what's happening is the... Mexicans had detained about 2,000 migrants in the caravan on the on in the town of Piedras Negras, mm. probably about 10 days ago, and uh, that was to prevent them from just charging the border, charging the Rio Grande, and uh, swimming into Texas and overwhelming everybody and everything. So what happened was, instead, the Mexicans have decided to grant every one of them a humanitarian work visa that will allow them to be bused to different other cities around northern Mexico where the presumption is they'll just simply get off the bus there and head straight to the nearest border so that instead of a migrant caravan and a mass rush like on a fire hose it's more like a sprinkler system yeah. and uh, nobody nobody will really see it oh that's it it's the optics rush of humanity uh, that's a made-up story well, not really. It's just that uh, they've become more and more clever in getting people across this border. Yeah, and that's what happened. And I, I was actually inside the uh, old ceramics uh, factory in Mexico on Thursday and watched the process as it actually unfolded. There were lines, long lines, hundreds, hundreds of, of the migrants were in line to apply for their visas, these special work visas that allow them to get out. And then in another line, uh, hundreds more were being selected to, to, to have spaces on the bus. In this case, the bus was, was going to Monterey, Mexico, and even had a sign on the door. Uh, Monterey, Mexico is maybe a, a few hour drive from the Texas border. Uh, not very, not, not a big deal to get, get from there to the border. And then another line was just of those who were getting ready to get on the bus. And since I've been there, since I was there on Thursday, the number had, that had been shipped out that, that way fell from 1,900 to 1,300. Today, I'm told there's almost nobody left in the camp. So in a matter of three or four days, they've emptied that camp out of, of th another 1,300 migrants. And they'll just be spread around to, from... Hermosillo to um, uh, Monterey and uh, small towns and cities in between, all in between. And then from there, you know, they just go to the border and declare asylum and they're in. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. I was looking at some photographs that are up at the website at the Center for Immigration Studies website, cis.org. And if you put in slash Benzman, um, you'll get to see some of these photographs. And I can't find, you know, more than Four women in some of these photographs. It's all young men. 
there was a there was a good mix. Uh, I mean, there were there were family units. There were families there. They had one one large area covered area that was for family units, and then they had another area that was for single men, and another area for single women. When I was there, uh, but but the the. The issue is really that uh, you know up until that point they didn't know who was who was in the caravan and uh, there were a number of riots and disturbances inside that factory. Uh, they just wanted out. Mm-hmm. They wanted out immediately so that they they were only two miles from the border. So you can imagine the frustration of just getting into the United States permanently mm-hmm. if somebody were to just let them out. Uh, so what they do is they would just create these disturbances inside. Uh, burning mattresses and whatnot. And it turned out that the about 25 hardened gang members were responsible for that, <laughs> for those disturbances. Uh, I talked to a Mexican official inside who told me he didn't know exactly what kind of gang members they were, but they were hardened gang members from Honduras, he said, and also uh, individuals who had criminal warrants on them that were international in international databases. So they they pulled those 25 out. And I don't know if there were any more remaining when, by the time I got there on Thursday, but uh, there's no doubt that, that these caravans have a, a young male criminal element in them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I guess my question is, what is Mexico actually doing? Because, you know, in the beginning, it appeared like they were going to work with us and stop and detain uh, the thousands of these uh uh, mostly Honduran, I guess, Guatemalan and Salvadorians. Um, but that's not what's really happening, is it? What's really happening, if you just boil everything away down to the to the, the nugget, what's happening is that the Mexicans are providing us with decent political optics. <sighs> Nobody wants a repeat of tear gas and mass charges on American Border Patrol, like we saw in Tijuana, that is just not going to happen. So, uh, the way the Mexicans are cooperating with us is they're just preventing the optics uh, on the other side, on the American side. You know, we were ready for them. We had you know hundreds of Texas Department of Public Safety uh, patrol cars all facing in a long line patrolling. We had you know beefed up numbers of border patrol we had national guard regular army everybody was over there just to be able to handle a mad rush it never happened because the mexicans held them in that camp but nobody's doing the american side any favors by providing these humanitarian visas supposedly they're a year long for work and then shipping everybody all over the place because what you're going to have is Groups of 100 and 200 of those folks just heading into other parts of the border. They won't say they're from the caravan, that they're from the caravan, and nobody will notice that they're from the caravan, but they'll be crossing at remote areas, and you know nobody's going to know that they were caravanners. But uh, my best bet is that, that every single one of them are coming into the United States one way or another through this policy. Yeah, and all they have to do are the uh, three magic words, I request asylum, <laughs> and there's nothing we can do to, to, to repel them. That's it. I mean, you can set up machine guns and landmines and whatever, but, you know, all they have to do really to defeat all of that is say, I declare asylum, and they are into what we call the catch and release loophole. Right. They're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
really all of this is is it boils down to uh, the the ease with which our asylum law is bent to the purposes of uh, people that want to just come here mm-hmm. and you know do it and do, and to do so outside of the regular application process because it's slower right right, right. so and and you, you know it, it it certainly um you know helps the media with this constant narrative that there is no crisis if they're trickling in at all different spots you know there's um not going to be the 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 visual that the president's talking about, but he actually understands what the numbers are and therefore is talking about a crisis. I, I find it amazing that he gets argued about, they argue with him about whether or not it's a crisis. If thousands of people come into this country um, simply by uttering three words and then get lost into its interior, how is that not a crisis? Listen, nobody really hears much about the 7,000 caravanners that hit the Tijuana, California border just a few months ago. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what happened. Yeah. 3,000 of them were granted the same visas that the migrants in the Piedras Negras camp were granted. Uh, about 3,000 of them. Within th- two months, it just so happens that about 3,000 migrants from Central America crossed over through Antelope Wells in the El Paso sector. Mm-hmm. Nobody asked whether they were recipients of these visas. Somebody should be asking that question, right? whether they were recipients. But, but I would be willing to bet a paycheck that very many of them were recipients of those visas. But the public consumption, the information that's being publicly consumed, is that, oh, they all went to work in Mexico. Problem solved. Mm-mm. Yeah. They had visas. They had work visas, so they they must have worked in. They must be in Mexico somewhere. No, they're not. They're crossing the border. They're using those visas to get over the border. Yeah, and you know, obviously, if uh, if Mexico were their destination, um, we wouldn't be in the in the position that we're in. But they've made it quite clear, as have many Mexicans, that the United States is the destination of choice. And you know, the, this inability of the reporters that, who are actually down there um, and looking at this scene to call it what it is 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 really starting to. Uh, caused me a lot of stress because, uh, you know, I'm arguing a point I've been arguing for 25, 30 years now that unbridled immigration cannot help this country. It can only hurt this country. And, you know, I get painted a, a racist, a bigot, every other name under the sun. And my predictions about how many more people would be coming, you know, as a result of our policies have all come true. You know, where's the racism in that? I was just telling the truth. Well, listen, let me tell you uh, just a personal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I came back, I, I have just been pilloried Ugh. on Twitter for reporting what I saw inside that camp. Mm-hmm. Let me just explain for a quick second. Uh, I mentioned these migrants, um, understandably, just want out. Mm-hmm. They they just want to be released. They'll say or do anything to, to, to create the pressure needed to be released. And one of the things that they were saying on the inside and on their and their advocates that were on the outside was that the conditions inside this camp were just deplorable, that they were intolerably inhumane. Mm-hmm. And so the camp needs to be shut down right now because it's just terrible in there. Uh, but I got in there and really paid close attention to the conditions. And what I saw was exactly the opposite. 
Mm-hmm. I saw absolutely sanitary conditions everywhere. Great effort going into maintaining a sanitary environment. Uh, they had big screen projector television sets with Netflix movies. Mm. They had free Wi-Fi, uh, three square meals a day, showers that were that were constantly being cleaned and disinfected. Mm. They had dentists and doctors on hand for any kind of illness to try to. I mean, there there was nothing like what what had been described earlier. And when I reported that on my Twitter account, I was just absolutely. I mean. To this day, uh, you know, profane, profanity-laced uh, attacks for for me reporting what I saw there. So, um, there's a real problem out there, a real disconnect between uh, just the truth and flat-out lies about yeah. this whole issue. Yeah, and and we can see every day how the media um, will literally run with a lie that has no verification. And refuse to tell the truth, even when they see it with their own eyes, if it doesn't fit the narrative. And the narrative right yeah. now is we have to be humane. <laughs> the media picked up those stories of deplorable conditions inside that. Sure. Uh, yeah, without without question. Yeah. They didn't send anybody down there like uh, CIS did. Uh, you know, they, they all just run with the narrative that pleases them. And it's just it's so frustrating because you see it's filtered into every aspect of American life. When people say to me, why is immigration your number one issue? Because it affects everything. It affects education. It affects health care. It affects, you know, uh, the, the employment market. It affects the tax base. It affects our water and land resources. And yet, uh, you know, people just don't want to talk about it and and but listen mm-hmm. the, the, i'm sorry no, uh, the policy the po- the mexican policy of it's basically a catch and release on their side so the, the, the sprinkler system uh policy mm-hmm. uh has implications for future caravans like this if it's not pointed out that this is what's happening mm-hmm. then all caravans down the line mm-hmm. we'll look at this and say we're going for that too it's going to be another magnet yeah and really what somebody needs to contemplate maybe in the administration uh requesting or pressuring that the mexicans consider another avenue some other alternative than these work visas that they're just uh you know they're dishing out by the hundreds right. a day and putting people on buses so somebody needs to take a look at somebody needs to know that first mm-hmm. of all it needs to just be known that that's what's happening. Yeah. And then uh, there should be a, a policy response to it. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you uh, that you get about, uh, you know, next to no request to talk about this by anyone in the mainstream media. If, you know, if we're not for talk no. radio, this none of this would be known. Mark Kikorian, Steve Camerata, you, um, Jessica Vaughn, your voices have been selectively silenced for the most part. Well, you know, they're, 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 I mean, I can't disagree with that. I mean, we do get some airplay, but I'm just saying that Mm -hmm. if you've got uh, somebody who is actually inside the camp, you'd want to talk to them. uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, it's not that common that you can get inside one of these camps. Right. So uh, I appreciate you having me on so I can at least, you know, tell what I saw. Yeah. And of course my, my uh, column is on the CIS website. Yep. I'm, I'm linking it right now. It's uh and you can follow me on Twitter too, Bensman Todd. 
Yeah, then you can watch everybody beat him up and you can defend him. How about that? <laughs> well, we got your back, yeah. Todd. I thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. All right, always a pleasure. And uh, we got to take a break, running a little late. Stay right where you are. Miss Oma from Somalia. She started talking about the Benjamins. And they trying to make her apologize. I sweetheart, don't do that. Oh, pardon me for calling you sweetheart, but uh, you do have a sweetheart. Because you sure using it to shake the government up. But you have nothing to apologize for. Israel and APAC pays off senators and congressmen to do their bidding. So you're not lying. So if you're not lying, stop laying down. You were sent there by the people to shake up that corrupt house. Shake it up. Calypso Louie encouraging Ilhan Omar.